In a world filled with movie podcasts, three critics from the juggernaut media market of San Antonio decided to change the entire course of the internet. A feat attempted by many and conquered by many. To produce a relatively listenable podcast, devastating truth bombs. Brace yourselves, guys. The Muppets are puppets. You know that, right? <laughs> no! Wait! Oh, okay. no! They're puppets. Don't ruin it! And <laughs> Muppets is, are puppets. This is kind of- <laughs> Hard facts. Yeah, not Kevin Feige or Feig, whatever, but uh, I think it's Feige. Is it really? I have no idea. <laughs> Asking the important questions. What is that? What, what was that that I just saw right now? It was like a fat Iron Man. That's it's a Hulkbuster. Hulk Hulkbuster armor. That's, that's, that's how he fights the Iron Man. <laughs> this is the CineSnob Podcast. I like how we just kind of sit around and look at each other yeah. while that thing is playing. You know, the thing is, it's still fun to listen to, but like... Ten episodes down the line, we're just going to be just like, oh, just get this over with. No way. I'm going to start standing on the desk here (laughs) like a superhero. You're going to recite it along with it, wear a cape. Exactly. The The, the ceiling fan blowing it into the wind. That's exactly my plan. All right. So welcome to episode 26 of the CineSnob podcast. I'm Jerry Kingery. I'm Cody Villafania. And I'm Kiko Martinez. Hey, did you like the fade out that time? It was was better. It was a lot better, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Cody. I only did audio production for like twelve years professionally. <laughs> yeah, you don't know how you you talk over the uh, the music beds. Well, it's you know okay. what? We had faders, and this is a pot. So, oh, that's called a pot. Did you know that? No, but thanks. You for know why it. it's called a pot? I do not because it looks like a pot somebody turned upside down. Oh, does it? To, and then like uh, like a row of buttons is called a bus. There's all kinds of weird. Oh, that's a lot of technical. <laughs> a bus and a pot. Can't you just call it a knob? You, you could, like but it's more interesting to call it a pot. I guess I don't know. It's it's made like this. All this jargon is from old time. Yeah, old timers. I think that in order to keep things fresh, though, we're gonna have to like as we continue to mess up, we're gonna have to find new to clips replace those to, clips. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's make it a goal. Yeah. What, every every, sh- every show to have something weird. Yeah. Happen. We need to have a devastating truth bomb. And then we have to have a hard fact and then an important question we ask. So let's just try to keep that in mind. That's a checklist. A devastating truth bomb. Import, devastating truth bomb, important fact. Uh, oh, wait, what? Uh, it was hard fact. I already, I already fucked it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that we, can be the first one. Yeah, that, that can, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, Thanksgiving week eve. Yeah, pre-Thanksgiving week, yeah. Right now. Uh, any plans for the holidays, you guys? Holiday to eat a lot, eat tons and tons of turkey. I, I love Thanksgiving. I, I, I like it more than Christmas, actually. Yeah, just because of the food. Yeah, because it's, it's actually the only time that. Well, maybe it's it, in the Hispanic culture you eat t- tamales for Christmas. So everybody eats tamales for Christmas here. Well, I guess that's true. So turkey. I'm like, co-opting your culture. So. <laughs> I'll have a tamale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jared's an honorary Mexican. So I, I, I like eating turkey uh, on Thanksgiving because I don't get it at Christmas as much. Yeah. Christmas is more of a ham holiday. I've never been a big fan of ham, personally. Uh, I think it's okay. Not, I, a, not I'm, a huge fan. I prefer turkey. I, I, like, I don't even like a ham sandwich. Like, I don't even But care. let's be, let's, let's, I mean, if we're going to talk, let's be real here. 
turkey can like there is there anything worse than really dry turkey uh a lot of stuff is worse <laughs> i mean <laughs> okay like 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 war and other stuff but i'm talking about like in the food realm um i it's disappointing to be sure but like, uh, but you can usually save it though with gravy yeah but you have to like drown it well, I do it anyway. <laughs> I mean, my plate just ends up brown no matter what happens. Like, it's yeah. just covered in gravy and casseroles. and yeah. <laughs> You can't even tell where, what, what's what on your plate. The, just all meshes yeah, together. The past few years, I've taken the leftover turkey and actually made some uh, turkey pot pie. Okay. Uh, homemade. Well, as homemade as I can get with uh, frozen vegetables and, like, Pillsbury pie crust. I but. feel like we're, we're that should be, like... When we record next week, we should just have turkey pot pies. Just, just be eating it. <laughs> like, everybody bring a leftover. Yeah. And we'll... We'll have, like, a potluck. We'll do it in Kiko's kitchen. We'll record... We need to get some headset mics and... Yeah. Record a cooking podcast. <laughs> yeah. And, and do Julia Child's voice. <coughs> no, Kiko. <laughs> no. That, that was spot on. Like, Thank you. I closed my eyes for a second and I thought that Julia Child Someone was brought Julia Child back to life. Um, but the, it's also kind of a slow week uh, for movies, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Isn't there usually like some big release, but now it's Horrible Bosses 2? Yeah. Well, and oh, then and the Penguins, Penguins. In Madagascar. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I don't know. I think that. Honestly, to be to be totally honest, I think people are still worried about Hunger Games yeah. hangover and that it's going to carry over into the next week. I think that the Hunger Games on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Weird, right? <laughs> oh man. It's like how much better we have it than those District 12 losers <laughs> just eating turkey. Yeah. What would they, what what do you think a turkey is in uh, the Hunger Games universe? Because you know all the birds have like they have all those weird birds now. Yeah, is it like a turkey jerky or something like, <laughs> like that? Like a futuristic turkey that can that can fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because they have like tracker jackers and mocking jays. I like. And... I would eat a tracker jacker. I think a tracker jacker is a hornet or something. So that'd be weird. It can <laughs> you can like deep fry a hornet and just crunch it. <laughs> oh wait, there, there yeah, you'd have to cut out the poison part though. Yeah, maybe I don't know. <laughs> In this fictional, well, if you're animal. talking about this fictional like world, then you're gonna it's gonna there's there's gonna be dangers all around. So you know, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> there's our devastating truth bomb. I think for yeah. the week. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're covering our quota early. Okay. Thank you, Kiko. <laughs> Enough of this. Let's go ahead and move on to news. It's time for the Real Rundown, recapping this week in movie news. All right. Uh, earlier this week, there was a trailer released for the new Peanuts movie. Mm-hmm. Peanuts being Charlie Brown and Snoopy. Um, and friends. Yeah. Peanuts featuring good old Charlie Brown is usually how it's worded in the comic strips. Oh. Um. Have you seen it? Did both of you watch it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? I um. Well, the first the, of all, are you a fan of the the Peanuts stuff? Because I'm unabashedly a fan of, especially the uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Right, right. And, uh, no, no, definitely. I, third I, on the list is a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving because it's kind of weird and hippie, but <laughs> it is. Have, have you watched it recently? No, I haven't. But it's like super mellow. It's the perfect 70s. time, right, to watch it. Um, It'll be on TV this week, I'm sure. True, true. I uh, yeah, no, I'm a fan. I, I swear, every year you have to see Charlie Brown Christmas. That's just one of those things. But um, what everybody's going to talk about here is well, whether or not they like it in 3D, right? Because you know, 
hand drawn Charlie Brown is amazing. Yeah. Um, comic strip Charlie Brown, great. So what are we gonna get with this new um, version? I respect the fact that the character designs haven't changed at all. Everyone looks the same. Well, you know what? Um, it's it is different though. Like it's not the animation design. Yeah. It's the comic strip design, which I find a. I mean, I understand it. But at least they didn't turn Snoopy into, like, an actual dog, like, you know. Like, yeah. Like, you know, something that looks like a, a, a dog that actually exists, you know? <laughs> what? There's b- just black and white beagles? Yeah, but I... Okay. I'm, yeah, just, that, kidding. I'm just kidding. That's what pissed me off with a, with a movie like Garfield, that Odie didn't look like Odie. Oh, yeah. He was just a regular just dog, just a regular right? dog, yeah. I'm glad they didn't go that route. That would have been easy to do. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I was reading a little bit about it. And I saw that the family of Charles Schultz was really, really adamant that if they do this, they're going to keep it as close to the spirit of the original as they can, as they could. Well, that, yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly what they need. I mean, we don't want to see, you know, I don't know if Charlie Brown's ever done fart jokes, but I don't want to see stuff <laughs> like that, you know. I mean, I, I'm still not, I don't think we're out of the woods yet when it comes yeah. to stuff like that, but at least uh, with the look of this. And one of one of my favorite things is, Snoopy's voice, um, Snoopy and Woodstock's voice. I don't know if you know this. Uh, the the longtime director of all the Peanuts animated specials was a guy named Bill Melendez, mm-hmm. um, old uh, you know a guy from Mexico animation director, and he does all the you know whatever oh, yeah, the for- voices are. And uh, he passed away, I guess about oh gosh, I don't know, not not terribly long ago, but in the last ten years or so. And what they're doing is, instead of recasting that, they're just using archival recordings of his voice. Mm. So that means Snoopy's not going to talk. You know, that was a big, that was a big kind of, because uh, in the comic strips, you know, he has thoughts, like he he, right. he talks, but in the cartoons, he never, ever did. Right. So it was a decision that they made to stick with that sort of in cartoon, in animation version of Snoopy as opposed to, you know, getting Will Ferrell to yeah. articulate his thoughts or whatever. That's probably a, a good sign. Yeah. In the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I think this is one of those things where I mean you can be divided on whether you think things should take a purist approach or if they should kind of advance and and be this generation's take on whatever. Mm-hmm. I think this is one where they could really benefit from taking the classic approach. I, I in think, terms of in terms of the um, spirit of it, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Because well, I mean, they're changing it, changing it um, with the look. I mean, you can't get around that at all. Well, there there is a there are ticks if you've noticed that that do kind of pull from hand drawn animation. Like it's not as fluid mm-hmm. as a, a a normal you know something like Despicable Me or even you know the Pixar stuff is. You know, you can see it's almost like there's a lower frame rate. Like their heads don't swivel. So much as they just like they're all of a sudden turned. Oh, it's just it's real mean. subtle kind of uh, you know because of course like hand drawn animation doesn't necessarily run at twenty four frames a second like film does traditionally now. Mm. So you know they would maybe do eighteen frames, so it's a little jerkier, a little you know less work for the animators. And it looks like they've retained that look a little bit here on purpose, kind of like in Wreck It Ralph, right? In the you know the 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 little eight bit guys in his world that would just moving around, like take, you know, right angle turns and, and everything like that. Well, I heard they just did that. Cause they, the animators got lazy. They didn't want to have to, like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. You just, <laughs> just give it to the computer to do render for <laughs> 10 hours. 
Yeah, but I, I'm I'm looking forward to this. I, I think that uh, if they capture the spirit right, I think that it it, it can work. Uh, it's kind of like um, last year, a couple of years ago, when they did the re uh, reboot of Winnie the Pooh, and they really kept it close. That to was that. essentially the same thing. I'm having yeah. deja vu right now. Did we have this conversation? We did have this conversation at. Uh, was that at the movie, or was it was it at like? On the show, or was it somewhere else? Because I'm this sounds I don't know. So familiar. We well, I could have easily this. said, like I said, like I was talking to you guys before. I could have, you know, prefaced it with that, but I wanted to pretend like we're. I think we <laughs> we're talked, having these. I think we talked about it at the Hunger Games. Okay, maybe. I just could, I just couldn't remember if we talked about it on the show or not. I'm, I didn't want people to listen to go. Yeah, I, we know. If they did, it's not the first time we've. Re- if we did, it's not the um, first time we repeated ourselves. That's true. Yeah, we repeat our names every. <laughs> every time at the beginning do you think that uh the strong legacy of stuff like the charlie brown a charlie brown christmas directly influenced how how faithful they keep something like this i mean because that's something you that's something that's you know it's approaching 50 years old no i don't at all I really mean, you don't I, think so i mean i think the family coming in and letting them know what they want is probably well, one of the bigger things i mean that was a pretty notorious i don't know if you know anything about when charles schultz died kind of uh, serendipitously on the day the last Peanuts comic was published. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of his stipulations was that no one would continue it. Oh, right. I mean, I don't know if it's a contractual issue or if it was just like, if it's just a, a steadfast wish before he died. Mm-hmm. So that's why it still runs in the paper as classic Peanuts. You know, there's not anybody that picked it up because a lot of these, I don't know if you know anything about comic strips, but a lot of these comic strips that have run forever are generational things. Like they get passed down to their son. So like the oh, son writes know it or, yeah. um, or, you know, it's just the syndicate owns it and they hire an artist or writer. Right. So there's a lot of stuff that's, uh, that's done by committee kind of the same way with Calvin and Hobbes too. Like he, once he was done with it, Bill Watterson was done. You right. Know, nobody's going to pick up Calvin and Hobbes. So can there ever be a Calvin and Hobbes movie because of that? Calvin and Hobbes, that's one of the ones he's like notoriously anti uh, anything that's uh, that's not the newspaper strip. I think he even was like chafed at the books. Well, he definitely did because there's uh, a lot of the books. If you've noticed, the the books are always on sale at Barnes and Noble. Yeah, there's like the essential Calvin and Hobbes mm-hmm. and the indispensable Calvin and Hobbes, and those are all titles he came up with as slams. Because they're just repackaged stuff, right? Um, I think Bill Watterson's kind of a crazy guy, so uh, I haven't seen the documentary on him. Have you I yet? haven't. I haven't yet either. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know because I, I've always wondered, like, does he still like make a living off of this? I'm sure he does. Well, he has to get some kind of residual those, for. They, I mean, those books probably still sell a ton. Yeah. But I mean, it's been 20 years almost since the strip ended. Strip ended in '95, and I mean, there's only so many copies of the $75 or whatever it well, costs. According, treasury. according to Wikipedia, which is a <laughs> source of 100% facts, 45 million copies of the 18 Calvin and Hobbes books have been sold. So I would imagine he's doing okay. Yeah, I just wondered. I mean, 
you know, because he's. I mean, it's it's still the 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 reruns of the comic strip still appear in more than fifty countries. It says so. He there has to be some sort of really. I don't. That's weird. I haven't seen a Calvin and Hobbes in a newspaper, but I haven't picked up a newspaper in years. So right. Well, they don't run it in the local paper. Yeah. I, well, you know what? I don't know on Sundays. I don't you don't read the funnies. You know what they did for a while? Now that I remember it, they were doing the. I think they were doing a Calvin and Hobbes. Uh. Some sort of uh, God. It must have been at least five or six years ago when I used to get the Sunday paper. Mm, I don't know. I can't. I I just know that uh, Calvin Hobbes was probably my favorite one to read, uh, followed very closely by uh, Roses Rose. I love Roses <laughs> Rose. I never read comic strips. Really? Ever. No, never. The Peanuts ones I love. Some of them are really melancholy. I mean, just yeah, kind of sad. Oh yeah, because I always beating the shit out of poor Charlie Brown. There's a I. The there's a a uh, retail holiday if you're not familiar with it, it's called Record Store Day. Yeah. Um, earlier this year, they released a uh, special edition uh, Crosley turntable mm-hmm. with peanuts, a peanuts comic strip on it, and uh, it's it's got an older uh, Charlie Brown little strip in it. I own it. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> really? It, yeah. They, uh, and he, he's, I can't remember what the, what he, exactly what he says. And it's just kind of a real bummer, but like kind of sweet cartoon. He, he's listening to a record and he talks about how sad it makes him feel. Jesus. But then he, at the end he goes, let's listen to it again. Wow. And uh, it's just sort of that spirit of the cartoon, of the comic strip. That so is it, it's like you're too into emo Charlie Brown? <laughs> <laughs> Charlie Brown is probably the uh, prototypical emo. But there, there's emo kid, but there's some <laughs> some of the, the specials get downright cruel to him. Yeah. Like, it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. Like, he just keeps getting a rock. <laughs> like, man, that's a real dick move by everybody. <laughs> Why did he, what, did he, what did he do? Have yeah. you seen the... the Family Guy that pokes fun of it. Yeah, um, Peter Griffin beats the crap out of um, Lucy. Lucy. Yeah. Speaking of, I, I've brought it up several times to both of you, and I don't know if you've watched it yet. But the SNL, it was one of the best things that SNL did in the past like five or six years, where they had like a Broadway adaptation of uh, Charlie Brown Christmas Special. Uh, called, I don't think I saw it. Called "You're a Rat Bastard, Charlie Brown." Oh yeah, <laughs> and it had like a. It had Bill Hader playing Charlie Brown, but he was playing it as Al Pacino. Oh yes, I I remember seeing that. I don't remember the details of it. Yeah, and it's uh, it's got some great impressions. Like uh, Taron Killen has a Michael Keaton impression that's really good. Martin Short does Larry David. Uh, <laughs> it's it's really it's really quite a funny thing. Have either of you seen any of the uh, theatrical Peanuts films? Uh, no, specifically um, a Boy Named Charlie Brown is great. Um, but there's a pretty classic one, uh, Snoopy Come Home. Mm-mm. It's from 1972. And uh, the music is by uh, the Sherman Brothers, who you'll remember from, uh, uh, what is that movie? Saving Mr. Mr. Banks. Banks. Uh, and it's just got the craziest, most psychedelic opening. Uh, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's so sad, the movie. It's the one movie that I can remember as a kid crying because Snoopy – uh, Charlie Brown and Snoopy are having uh, <coughs> issues with each other because mm-hmm. Snoopy's too independent. Lovers quarrel. Yeah, it's basically basically Snoopy's kind of being a dick because um, he goes to hang out with Peppermint Patty on the beach, and Charlie Brown doesn't know where he's at. 
<laughs> it's weird. It's a little weird. It's, the cartoon Snoopy is so different than the, the comic strip Snoopy. But then Snoopy ends up, uh, he gets a letter from his former owner, who's a sick little girl. So he leaves to go be with her. And Charlie Dang. Brown gets sad. And <laughs> it's the one that famously, uh, the Family Guy parodied it, too, where the... He keeps running into places that don't allow dogs. And there's uh, Thurl Ravencroft from, uh, you know, The Grinch. Mm -hmm. He just keeps um, hitting the soundtrack. And there'll be a sign. And it'll show a sign that says, no dogs allowed. <laughs> you don't remember that from Family Guy? I don't remember God, that. You need to go watch Snoopy come home and then cry <laughs> and then uh, come back to me. The the Grinch is a good example of something that you know is really classic, and then they got flipped around in the dude. Movie. I hate that movie so much. The movie, uh, I didn't mind it too much. What about uh, Yogi Bear? Oh, I see. never saw it. I yeah. didn't see it either. I but... did appreciate that Dan Aykroyd was the voice of Yogi Bear. I was I was reading a story that uh like uh like T J Miller had some sort of like really weird brain injury that caused him to to like go a little crazy and he was and he he had that injury while filming Yogi Bear. <laughs> so I guess if you if you watch that movie he's like completely out of it and he doesn't like remember it. Weird. I didn't I have <laughs> I have no uh, I saw Yogi Bear it's really bad. I I used to watch the Yogi Bear cartoons but I have no love for it. Like it just seemed there's those cartoons that I watched as a kid that are just so cheap. You know, mm -hmm. like there was never any resonance to it. Like Charlie Brown, like it really resonated with me. But oh yeah, I mean the animation was really cheap. They would just re redo the backgrounds and so just to um, it just just to to double on this T.J. Miller story. Just so <laughs> okay, he was he had um, he had what was called an arteriovenous malformation on his right frontal lobe, and he was bleeding. His brain was bleeding, and it said. And this says he became more philosophical, narrated his behaviors, and was unable to sleep <laughs> while filming Yogi Bear. And he had to have brain surgery. And so I guess his performance is so weird in Yogi Bear, and that's that's why. Is that from him? Like, did he say that? Yeah. That, a quote, that he was more philosophical? Yes. And he, and he narrated his behaviors. Wow. So, like, he was losing his mind. What a strange injury. Like, yeah. how, that's weird that, some, like, a physical injury can make you... Like so psychologically different. It's kind of weird that they just kept, they just made him keep filming. <laughs> they probably didn't know. Yeah, he didn't know. I don't think he. I think he, like he, he probably noticed he was starting to be really weird. But if you <laughs> if you read if you read uh like it came on the he talked about it on Pete Holmes's podcast and um if you read a little bit there's a lot of interviews with him about it and it's just uh it's just a weird story because like, his brain was hemorrhaging while filming the movie <laughs> that's a perfect metaphor for that movie so anyway Peanut, too. peanuts next christmas um that's probably a perfect time for it i guess right i mean you got to trade so. on the charlie brown christmas yeah yeah, there'll I, probably be some Christmas scenes, maybe. I would be optimistic about it. I think that there's reasons to be optimistic. and I mean, everything I've seen so far, I've loved. Yeah. Um, and I know Paul Feig is... I don't, he's not directing it, but he's, no. uh, I guess, shepherding it. Is he? Yeah. I know that. I don't know who's directing it. Uh, oh, I, did, I, I had it up just a second ago. I can get is it T.J. Miller? <laughs> it's T.J. Miller. Uh, no, it's, the philosophical T.J. Miller. It's Steve Martino who um, who directed Horton Hears a Who. Mm, I and, never saw that. And Ice Age Continental Drift. When did I check out of the Ice Age movies? What are they on, like four now? 
I don't even know. I don't know. The third one wasn't bad. I don't know what Continental Drift was. Horton Hears a Who was really good. Well, I didn't see it. <clears throat> well, there you go. Well, you're not a Dr. Seuss fan. Then. And I think that uh, um, apparently Horton Hears a Who was one of the reasons he was chosen. The Schultz family chose him because he stayed faithful to the adaptation of the book. Mm-hmm. So they they, they knew like that the he could Lorax. do that. God, the Lorax was so bad. <laughs> yeah, the Lorax was bad. The Lorax, uh, they even referenced that in The Simpsons. I don't know if you saw that recently. No. They uh, talked about, it was a, a Halloween special, um, one of the Treehouse 4 episodes, and it was Dr. Seuss-ish, mm-hmm. and uh, Homer was playing like a Cat in the Hat style character, and they referenced the Lorax, talking about saving the environment, but like pitching all these shitty products at the same time, <laughs> like an SUV and pancakes and stuff. That's pretty funny. Okay, that's going to do it for news. Let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have The Hunger Games, Mockingjay, Part 1. There has been rampant speculation about what really happened in the Quarter Quill. And here, to shed a little light on the subject for us, is a very special guest. Please welcome Mr. Peter Malak. Peter, a lot of people feel as though they are in the dark. Yeah, yeah. I know how they feel. <laughs> now, so set the stage for us. Talk us through what really happened on that final and controversial night. Well, first off, you have to, you have to understand that when you're in the games, you only get one wish. It's very costly. You're alive. When Katniss destroys the games in the events of Catching Fire... She goes to District 13 after District 12 is destroyed, where she meets President Coyne, who convinces her to be the symbol of rebellion while trying to save PETA from the Capitol. We all saw this. Who wants to start? Who's hungry to start? <laughs> Kiko. Well, um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of this series, but only because I don't think it's made for me. Um, I didn't read the books. I... Don't have a vested interest in these characters. Although I have to say that Katniss um, is a great character. I think uh, that's mm-hmm. the best part of this series for me. Is that uh, and, and I mean it's too few and far between when it comes to female uh, heroes. So seeing somebody like her on um, on the big screen and being such a strong character. And I know that sounds cliche, like oh she's you know. It sounds like you're just trying to score points with the ladies. Uh, yeah, stop uh, trying to impress girls. Jennifer Kiko. Lawrence, it's especially. Hello, Jennifer, are you out there? And so I think that um, <laughs> she's definitely listening. To <laughs> I'm, sure she, I'm sure she's totally listening. <clears throat> I think that uh, that's the best thing that it has going for it, and that it's such a uh, well uh, crafted uh, character. Um, I think that this movie it's good, uh, just like all the other ones. I think that they all fall under the same category for me of of being you know just you know exactly what they need to be to appease the fans. Um, I really like some of the elements of this movie more than I did in the, the past ones, even though that they're, even though a lot of people are not liking this, this one as much because it doesn't have as much action as the first two. Um, but or, I, I or could any action, really any action, really. <laughs> uh, I could look past that um, because of some of the more thematical uh, parts of it, um, especially when it comes to like, um, the uh, propaganda stuff that's taking place and yeah. trying to get her to, um, you know, bring pe- more people on board against uh, the Capitol and being part of this rebellion. So I really enjoyed that those those scenes a lot. So yeah, I'm on the same page with you. Is that, um, like I said in my written review, I like that it's not like usually these these movies boil down to 
the hero being the only one who can lead the fight. Right. You know, like a chosen one sort of thing. Whereas they're just like, hey, she's the one everybody likes. Let's shoot all this propaganda making her out to be like they don't even want her to fight because she's untrained right right so and and she doesn't really want to do it too i mean i think most movies would throw her in there and she just takes it on but this yeah. one she's um um reluctant she, yeah she's a reluctant hero which is a it's, it's a good way to go what about you cody well i i actually liked the second film i like catching fire quite a bit um, I think it was a vast improvement over the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, I feel, is a step down. Uh, first off, I think that the best part of this movie is Philip Seymour Hoffman, who I think is great. He's in this. great in this, and it's really sad. It's really sad because you're like, man, this guy is even great in a Hunger Games movie, and like, it's a pretty meaty part. It's it's a big role, a lot bigger than I thought it was. Yeah, be. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, he kept on coming out more and more in yeah. the scenes. I was like, oh man, they really. I don't know what the decisions were after he passed away, but this uh, what I've read was uh, I heard he had one one big scene in each movie that went unfilmed. But right, they, but right. they but what they did was they shifted the dialogue to other characters. To other characters yeah. Like right. they didn't they didn't make a digital mask of him or anything. Right. But he's he's really great in this. Um, I think that uh, some elements are are good. Uh, I, I think that the, you know what you just talked about the the propaganda parts are interesting and. Um, uh, but but I feel like uh, first of all, I think that the the storyline with Peta is just sort of feels thrown in. It feels like a side thing. Peta is like cinema's biggest bitch. <laughs> I mean, because he spends and I, I you know I don't. It's true. I mean, I don't want to discount the fact that there's a strong female lead, right? But I mean. He spends the whole like especially in catching fire. Yeah. Like he spends the whole thing just getting like fucking beat up and yeah. and and taken care of by by Katniss. Yeah. Which I guess is positive in a way, but man, he's just a worthless bitch of a character yeah. sometimes. No, I totally agree. Yeah. And, and uh <laughs> I mean it's true. Uh I, I also think and and I think this is this movie's biggest problem and something we'll cover later, but this movie just reeks of being a setup. Oh, yeah. For for mocking Jay Part Two, and the whole time it's a setup, and there's no, there's there's very little action. There's no real climax that I can think of. Yeah, it's weird because I wrote this too. It doesn't like you have no idea like where you are in the plot. Yeah, you know that it's lumpy and weird, and it could end at any time, and it does. Yeah, at just a point randomly. Yeah, and and I just think that I think that. It just feels a little unnecessary in the grand scheme of things. I don't know why you can't tack the best parts of this movie onto whatever you have left in part two and just well, like, I mean, and call it a day. We all know. Well, I, well, we know why they're doing it, but it just it just feels like uh, – like I mean there's like scenes of them singing the song, like the Hanging Tree song. Like why? why does I don't know. I like that part. I just felt like it, it was just unnecessary. I felt like so much of it was unnecessary. There, wait, I mean, there's just a lot of people kind of waiting around. Yeah, it's a lot of waiting around for a rebellion, basically, and preparing. And it's uh, and it's not it's not even like combat training. It's like propaganda training. It's like, I really liked that part, though. I mean, I thought it was an interesting take on on like I said on the genre where normally it would just be yeah, you know, cutting to people to fight. or you see like the you know those scenes where people are training. With a song going over the yeah, or... I mean it's interesting that that the way they're using Katniss is propaganda. You know, it's yeah. it's 
it's strictly propaganda. Like they're not sending her like, Hey, you were good at shooting arrows. Why don't you go take on these stormtroopers with guns? Yeah. And I don't think it's I don't think it's a bad movie. I think there's good parts to it and I think it carries your interest for the most part. It just like you can't help but feel like, okay, get to the point already. Yeah, I mean it's it doesn't feel like a real movie to me, I, frankly. No, it feels I like mean, a it feels like a prologue. Yeah. Uh I, I like you said, I really liked Catching Fire too. I liked it yeah. more than the, I hadn't seen it until about a week before I saw Oh really? The Hunger Games. I I missed it in theaters for whatever reason. It's good. Yeah, no, I, I was I was impressed by it. Um, I like that it deals. A... It, it sort of it sort of balances the the thematic elements of this movie with the action parts of the first one. It's, yeah, it's an interesting blend of the two. Yeah. Um, the the things I find less successful, and it, it pops up here in this, and then in uh, uh, Catching Fire as well, and even in the first movie, obviously. But the when it gets a little too far afield, like in the kind of fictional animals and weirdness like that, yeah. like mocking jays and, and tracker jackers. And like we talked about already in the beginning of this podcast, that's when I feel it kind of like knocks me back down to like, Oh, this is a goofy young adult thing. Cause yeah. there gets to be like some serious, pretty serious themes in this. You know, there's, it's a propaganda war and people are dying. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a rebellion going on and it's, it's grisly. You know, there's, like the, the a hospital gets firebombed and, and what what do you think about the idea of the whole Katniss has a boyfriend but there's obviously some sort of attraction to Peta? How do you think that that plays out in these movies? Is it do you think it's well done or do you think it's kind of weird? I think it feels like a high school drama. Yeah, and I think that's appropriate. I, I think yeah, if, I think so too. Kids can kind of. I think relate if, to liking two boys if, at the same time. But if Peter, I think if Peter was a stronger character, like a real man, because <laughs> he is such a bitch. I mean, well, I do love the idea of like Peter being totally in the friend zone. I think that would be like an even better thing. Uh, of Pete, of like if Peter was in love with her and she's like, "Hey, buddy, how you doing?" and just like you know. And then what's his name comes along like, hey, look at me, Gail. Gail. Oh yeah, like, talk about manly names there. But uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's age appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, like if if Peta was not, I, I don't know if it's just the writing or just the direction or or the cast because Josh Hutcherson looks kind of small. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He's probably a big beefy dude to kick my ass, but uh, <laughs> he no, he's small. Is he really? Yeah. He just he just doesn't. You know, there's never feels like there's any kind of real tension between the two. Yeah. Um. I mean, the scene where uh, I love the scene where they go to, you know, to infiltrate the Capitol to try to save PETA, Mm -hmm. which we won't spoil whether they do or not. I thought that was a really well done scene. That was kind of a cross between Mission Impossible style and uh, I like the little Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, I I did like that sequence. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's Uh, how I felt, too. And those six of them, if you don't remember, (laughs) I don't know. Seal Team Six. Oh, you were counting the Well, they said six, I think. They mentioned something about sending six people in, and that's the first thing that popped in my head. Oh. And I then didn't... it started playing out, and I was like, oh, this feels like uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, that was a really well-done scene. and that's and, But, I mean, then again, you get a lot of uh, people waiting around watching. Right. I mean, that, it's, it's nice that scenes like that get to breathe, but I think at the expense of the overall experience, uh, I could it's have, not worth it. I could have used more Woody Harrelson in this and less Elizabeth Banks. Really? Well, Elizabeth Banks, uh, if you read my interview with uh, the director of Francis Lawrence um, at Cinesnob.net, he talks about how that was one of the 
big uh, things in this film is because Effie's not in the book at all, really. Too oh, really? Much. So, but he felt that she was important enough to bring back. I think I think she has a good. I love her scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman when he goes to visit her. Yeah, and she acts as though she's in prison. Yeah, and he's like, "You're just this is just your quarters." I thought that was a great scene. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Philip Seymour Hoffman's great in this, and it's I mean, just makes the tragedy even more apparent in your mind that you know here was this great actor who was I don't know that I'd call it slumming it because these movies are so huge that yeah you can't really uh, I mean th- there's great actors all through this thing I mean Woody Harrelson uh, uh, Julianne Moore Lenny Kravitz was in the other ones <laughs> <laughs> he was actually good in, in I those. mean Jennifer Lawrence is the biggest star in Hollywood right yeah. now you know uh, Academy Award winning Jennifer Lawrence and you know how lucky were they to get her for this role yeah. I mean this could have been anyone, yeah. you know, any Though I guess, pretty, pretty I, woman. I guess you could say that it contributed to her huge status as a as a movie star versus, yeah. you know, an actress who you know well, is amazing in Winter's Bone and Silver Linings Playbook. But I mean uh, that they got such a great performer. Yeah, you know, not not just some pretty a name. Face. Yeah. So that's true. Uh, they kind of lucked out because I think it was between well, it was between her and Haley Steinfeld. To play Katniss, like really? the, those were the two last two standing. I don't remember the Haley Steinfeld talk, but yeah, she's good though. Haley Steinfeld, she is good, but she's like I haven't. I don't know. I just I, I, I she was so bad. Well, I just hated Ender's Game personally. Yeah, she was good. She's good in Begin Again, um, but it feels like she hasn't really done much since True Grit. Yeah, like, I, I think Ender's Game was probably her biggest role since then. Yeah, I think it was her only role because she did like a, a shitty Romeo and Juliet adaptation. <laughs> but I, other than that, I don't know if she was in much between True Grit and. I know Ender's she's Game. in talk for an X Men role. Yeah, with uh, Chloe. Wasn't Moritz. it Young Jean Grey? Yeah, yeah. We'll see. I think she's. I, I don't know. She feels too young. Well, I know Katniss is supposed to be like 15. But. Well, that's the thing because it was like she was too young to play Katniss and they thought that Jennifer Lawrence might be too old to play Katniss. But you look at like someone – like whoever uh, – uh, Chris Hemsworth – not Chris Hemsworth. Uh, Liam Hemsworth playing yeah. Gale. He yeah. looks like he's <laughs> he looks 30. Like he's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I – by the way, that's a trend that I absolutely <clears throat> love is old people playing young characters. It's, it's hilarious to me. Is that ever going to go away? <laughs> Probably not. I mean, I'm telling you, when when the identical comes out and you see <laughs> this guy who looks like he's 40 playing a 16 year old, you're, it's so it's so great. But I mean, even uh, <laughs> even you know when it's unknowns, yeah, uh, like what's the difference? You yeah. know, why would you? I mean, if you wanted to get someone like Jennifer Jennifer Lawrence, still looks. I mean, Jennifer Lawrence can pass for a, I don't know, 18, yeah, probably. But it, but you're right. Isn't isn't Katniss like 15 in the books? I think so. And and there's a scene where they they Woody Harrelson talks about how they've made her up to yeah. look old and uh yeah. it's it's affecting her her uh, genuineness, I guess. Yeah. Um I think she's also what like a different she's like Indian. She's she's uh dark-skinned in the book. Olive-skinned. Olive-skinned, olive skin, yeah. Which is the reason some people had a problem with Jennifer Lawrence. But it, yeah, I I don't think it's I don't it's not like part of her character that she's right. olive-skinned, but and olive skinned is kind of a, kind of a. Uh, so she has a, green a, skin. A, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> she has olives all over her skin. Yeah. <laughs> she has a pimento stuck in like her eye holes. And... <laughs> anyway, all of these jokes are bad. Oh God. Uh, so anyway, uh, we've got to wait a year for the second film. Do you think that's too long? 
Yeah. I, I would do. I would do it six months. Yeah, I would have done. I would have done it in the summer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ask the ask Francis Lawrence about that. He doesn't think it's long too long. Well, what else is he gonna say? Yeah, exactly. Well, he doesn't have a choice. I mean, are they done? His, they, they yeah, uh, it's do, in the can, as mm-hmm. far as I know. So, yeah, and you're right. He said that uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman had two big uh, scenes in both films, and they just gave this stuff to other people. What do you think about that decision? I think it's fine. I one one of the things that I want to know. I asked him is if if uh, Hoffman's character feels like it's um, feels finished mm-hmm. because you would think like oh it was, does it just cut off? How does that work? I mean I'm sure in the editing room they can get around things, but I don't I don't want it to feel like you know he kind of just disappears from the movie kind of yeah. thing. And he I'm, says I'm sort of surprised that they don't have some sort of audio recording going during rehearsals in the event that something like that happens. I mean, uh, I know you you can't prepare for a death, but I mean, it's always weird when when this happens. It's like uh, people always ask, you know, it, was there anything happening during rehearsals or whatever? See, you know what's weird to me? And you can like film the back of their heads, <laughs> or film a guy who looks like him from the back. <laughs> yeah, uh, what's weird to me, I'm, I don't know. Movie production schedules are always strange. Yeah, but the fact that they're like something such a big event could have happened like in a break from this film. Yeah, because didn't they shoot in? Uh, where did they shoot this in Atlanta? Or uh, I don't I don't remember. Or like North Carolina or somewhere. I know they shot the first one somewhere in the Carolinas. I don't remember. But that he like could go back to New York and overdose on heroin. Well, this in, is in a break. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like it just it's just a weird it's the weird how life like how how. He can leave with with two major scenes unfilmed, and then well, I think he that's, dies. That's and... the thing. I mean, didn't Paul Walker die during a break too? They were in yeah, a but that was break. Yeah, that was like a that was like a Thanksgiving break or something, right? Yeah, it's been just about a year since he died. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just strange to think about. You know, like here's this guy who was working on this major film, and he went home and overdosed. You know, flew back to New York and OD'd on heroin, and that was it. God, such a bummer. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, you look and it, even like you're saying in a, in a movie like this, it's a great performance in yeah. something that's a huge blockbuster. You right. Know? This is this is his last film role, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything the, else in the can? Yeah. The last thing you're going to see him on screen with is Mockingjay Part 2 and then that's it. Hmm. The Most Wanted Man was his last starring role. Wow. Which is great, by yeah. the way, if you haven't seen it. Great movie. Great performance. Yeah. So um, let's uh, let's wrap this up and give some grades. Yeah. Also, yeah. it was a nice touch to see that they dedicated the movie to him. That was the first thing you saw. Yeah. After the movie, I mean, it, for real, like Kiko said, I had no idea how big his part was. In I this didn't film. either. Yeah. Because you, you see him in the second film where he plays kind of an antagonist mm-hmm. until the very end. You know, I thought maybe he'd be he'd be uh, you know have a, a kind of similar yeah. size role, but he is a, a big role. major major part of this film. Okay, grades, Kiko. I'll give this a B minus. I, I I recommend it. Yeah, I'm. It, this is such a hard decision, I, but I think I'm at a B minus in recommending it. Though I don't, it's not like a like a really strong recommendation. But I think that it's just good enough to to get it over the hump. I, I give this a B. I was a little more impressed with it. If I could give it an incomplete, I would, <laughs> right? Exactly. Because it's. I mean, it's not complete, yeah. and I mean, everyone knows it, and it. it and I think going into it, knowing it makes it better than watching it and realizing like, oh, they, cause we're going to talk about this later on in the show. Yeah. But if you watched it and we're like, oh shit, like when you watch something like the maze runner, like we talked about a few 
months ago, you know, we're like, oh, well, this is just the first part of a bigger story. That that would have made me more angry. But knowing that they mm-hmm. sliced it in half because that's what you do now. You you don't you take the final chapter and you slice it in two and spread it out over a year. That way you can make more money. Yep. Damn it. Damn you, Hollywood. All right. Let's go and move on to our next review, The Theory of Everything. And then, of course, we have chapter four, this black hole at the beginning of time. Space-time singularity. Indeed. It's brilliant. Brilliant, Stephen. Superb. Therefore, all there is to say is well done. Or perhaps I should say, to be more precise, well done, Doctor. Bravo, Stephen. An extraordinary theory. (laughs) Thank you. So what next? Prove it. Prove with a single equation that time had a beginning. Wouldn't that be nice, Professor? The one simple, elegant equation to explain everything. Yes, it would. It would indeed. Thank you. This is a look at the relationship between the famous physicist Stephen Hawking and his first wife. So we've all seen this film. Mm -hmm. Cody, why don't you start? You're the Stephen Hawking fan here, right? (laughs) Uh, You have a little resemblance, at least, to him. What does that mean? (laughs) You look British. Oh, exactly. That's what I meant. Thank you, governor. Uh, Look like you're from Cheshire on York. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, as you said, this this is a movie about Stephen Hawking and his first love. Well, first, you know, wife. Um, so I'll, I'll run down the good and then get to the bad. The good here is the performances. Um, I, I don't, while I don't think that they're spectacular, I think that Eddie Redmayne sort of gives everything yeah. to this role. It's a it's a physical role. It's a role that requires him to slowly deteriorate. And by the end of the the movie, he is doing like this amazing Stephen Hawking impression. Basically, and it doesn't. It's not like movied up. You know, there's no, no like there's. You can't really understand him. Yeah, you, know? you, you can't like, understand him, and it's you know he's he, you know the physical parts, even like the faces that like he makes even his teeth. They yellow his teeth. Yeah. So, uh, and I think Felicity Jones is maybe better than Eddie Redmayne in this movie. I thought she was really good. Um, I think it's a it's a really good performance on her part. Uh, here's the thing about the theory of everything. Um, if you want to know about Stephen Hawking's relationships and his <laughs> love life, then you're going to be right on. You're going to love this movie. If you want any context to the importance of Stephen Hawking and what he did and his, the science part of things and his, his work as a, as you know, a doctor of whatever he had. Just a theoretical physicist. Yeah. I mean, just... Incredible theories about yeah. one of the, the sm- universe. The smartest person alive. If you want to know anything about that, you're shit out of luck because <laughs> there is none of that in here. They touch on it briefly, mm-hmm. and then the whole rest of the movie, it's just like, "Well done, Stephen. Good for you on your accomplishments." 
And that's that's it. That's the only context there is yeah. about Stephen Hawking. So to call this a biopic is a little bit misleading, I think, because it's really a look at his relationships. There's there's nothing about him as uh, as as uh, as a brilliant mind, um, and I think that that's a major major letdown. And to be fair, this was uh, um, adapted from Jane Hawking's. Uh, um, memoir about her relationship so i think that going into this thinking that you're going to get anything else other than that is kind of a mistake on your part so i oh because that's 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 not i I don't agree because stephen hawking especially now is such a household name i mean the guy's been a guest star on the simpsons he has shows on tv uh you know there's never been it's not like this is this is an unknown entity this is a guy who's known for being essentially the smartest man alive and to think that you're going to go into a a film about his life that doesn't feature any of the science or, or just has this glossed over kind of other people explaining what he's talking about science, I think is genuinely disappointing. And I think it was, it is genuinely to be expected that you would find out at least a little bit about his contributions. Yeah. And I don't think everyone, I didn't even know that that book existed. I don't think people are going into it knowing it's an adaptation from that book. I mean, if you look after the fact, then maybe it makes more sense, but to say that going into it, expecting it, that's not fair to say. I think that, uh, well, I I agree. I I mean, there's, I wish that there was a little bit more science. Well, not even a little bit more science. I just wish that they would show what his uh, contributions were and how they uh, affected other people, but they keep it, they do keep it in a bubble. And I did, did have a problem, especially with uh, the uh, kind of uh, hero worshiping uh, scenes where they're just like, you know, giving him kudos for things that we don't understand as an audience. The, the scene with the, the Russian visiting Russian yeah. physicist right. is the worst it's example stupid. of that. But again, I, I think that knowing that uh, this was a love story going into this, I think that there's a lot of different themes that really work in terms of like talking about time and space and how that is relative to what they were going through in a relationship um, that could be a little deeper than you'd like. But um, I think that that stuff worked. And I think that the, and the Felicity Jones's uh, character, Jane really showed the type of devotion that they wanted to get across in her character. So I really think that the relationship worked. I thought it was touching. I thought it was sweet. Um, And I felt kind of what they were going through in terms of, you know, this relationship that's based on um, mutual respect and kind of kind of breaking down little by little and you see them start having feelings for other people. But at the same time, they stick together because there's more important things than just, you know, having a perfect marriage. And that's what um, is happening in his head. He's a brilliant guy and they don't want to lose that. So I think that worked a lot. The scenes with, uh, with Charlie Cox, uh, who plays... Um I can't remember, Jonathan is his name, mm-hmm. uh, who, who kind of comes in as a caretaker uh, for Stephen Hawking and then becomes a love interest for Felicity Jones' character. Mm-hmm. Um, the scenes, those play a little strange to I, me. I agree with you. And I think that – I think what's weird is is it's a movie that sort of – and you might this may not be why it's strange to you. But for me, it was because they sort of like hint towards – uh, other other relationships and other forms of uh, you know other love interests they hint towards it and then they glorify it which is really strange to me what, how do you mean I, I you know they make it seem like those were the people they were meant to be with the entire time uh, 
Um, yeah, I see what you're saying there. Uh, there's just like there's the movie has a kind of fake out in the middle with because uh, the movie makes a big deal about how even though Stephen Hawking is deteriorating, his penis still works. <laughs> that's a that's a great plot. I mean, that's like fifty percent of the movie almost. <laughs> you know, and he's able to keep having kids. Yeah, you know, even after he's in a wheelchair. And there's by the time. Uh, Charlie Cox's character comes in and is integrated. <laughs> what? That's his name. You said Cox. He's, in, he's integrated with the family. You know, like they're on the they're taking vacations together, yeah. and he's on the beach, and which uh, would, it's a weird scene in there. Yeah, it, um, and then you know everybody suspects that that's that the the newest baby is indeed Jonathan's baby as yeah. opposed to Stephen's baby. And even you, in the as the moviegoer, don't know. No, yeah, you're right. But then the movie scolds you for, <laughs> for even for thinking, thinking that. Yeah. yeah, and then it's just kind of a weird. It's just I, that part didn't play so well for me personally. Uh, again, like we said at the beginning, just the science is totally glossed over, and I think I think there was room for it. You know, I think there was room for it in this movie, and it just didn't. It just chose not to go there. Yeah. You know, there, because like there's the scene like I talked about with the Russian visiting Russian physicist where you know, you basically get a montage of it's it's Stephen presenting to a, a group of visiting academics before his voice is is gone mm-hmm. you know, before he he can still talk but he's deteriorating he's in a wheelchair and he's you know has this really strained uh, um, cadence I guess you would call it. And at the end of the lecture, I guess his ideas are so wild that all these professors are, you're crazy. And they leave, they storm out in a huff. And then there's the visiting Russian oligarch-ish PhD scientist. He's like, I came all the way from Moscow to hear you speak. And you won me over. And then everybody yeah. cheers. And But you don't know what the fuck they're even, <laughs> what what was so revol- revolutionary that he was speaking about. Yeah. And it's just it, it, the movie's filled with scenes like that, and that just disappointed me as someone who wanted to know. I mean, we saw this like three days after we saw Interstellar, yeah. I think, and Interstellar has Interstellar, a movie, a you know, about black holes and stuff, has more science in it, <laughs> more hard science in it than a movie about Stephen Hawking. Well, and that's I, disappointing. Well, I think it's it's one of those problems that you see a lot. In, in 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 biopics is that we are to- not even in biopics but in any movies we are told how important a person is but we don't see it we don't understand why we're just we're just supposed to go along with it because there's dialogue that says he's brilliant he's smart yeah he's he's you know uh, he's revolutionary but we don't see it on screen you get you get it at the beginning I, a little I, bit uh, yeah. you know when you you start to see him you know he's solving theories and he becomes you know. I think the worst offense, though, is that I th- I thought that the love story was dull, and I think this movie overall is dull. And yeah, that's... I didn't think that the love story was dull at all, but I think that <clears throat> um, I don't know. I just I, I think that the, the the scenes with him and her um, trying to work things out together are, are pretty pretty touching stuff. I don't know. What do you think about? Redmayne's performance. No, I thought he was great. I think um, I, in my written review, I uh, likened him to somebody like uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and My Love Foot and uh, Matthew Elmerick and um, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly where, you know, they didn't really have a way, a physical way to, you know, do you think show what, you know, show what, uh, how they're feeling except for, you know. Do you think it's easier though? I mean, do you think it's easy to imitate Stephen Hawking? I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say if this was an imitation. I know Cody used the word imitation, but I mean, well, I mean, what is there to really imitate? I guess is is well, the bottom line. I mean, just the the. I mean, 
how difficult would it be to imitate Stephen Hawking? I mean, you don't want to be tasteless. I mean, I don't want to be tasteless here when I say it, but there's not really much going on other than kind of his contorted physique and yeah. But and, there, I think his just the face overall. I mean, mm-hmm. I I mean it, it it sort of mimics Stephen Hawking's actual face. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things where you have to ex- be expressive in how you act via you know. And, and really, with Stephen Hawking, it's you don't even have facial expressions to work off of, mm-hmm. but you can have you know glances and looks and 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 things like that. And I think that's where Redmayne. I mean, I, that that can't be easy. I don't. I don't think, but because you have to convey emotions and thoughts yeah. and stuff like that via you know facial expressions. Or what whatever. do you think about the um, the? Uh, there's a scene near the end where he imagines himself walking. Oh, I love that scene. Really? Yeah. It reminds me. I first thought about you know the Christopher Reeves. Um, commercial remember that commercial mm-hmm. oh, that yeah. came out yeah. I, that's the first thing that popped into mind but for me on that scene i thought all this stuff that's happening in his head that you know is um scientific i mean there's you have no idea what he's thinking of and all these theorems and cosmologist thoughts and stuff like that but that at the same time there's something in his brain that's still kind of like flickering that that's his biggest wish kind of thing like i wonder if that's true though do you think that's true? What that he wishes that he was normal, like everybody else, and could walk. And yeah. I, f- I think that he, f- I think that that showed how um, trapped he felt. I think that people that can't move that were were able to move before probably feel like that. Like if I could just get up, I mean, I don't understand why I can't just stand up and yeah. do this and pick and do something as simple as pick up a pin from the floor. You know. Let me uh, change subjects here and ask you about. Uh, there's a there's something that I feel is underdeveloped in this movie. It's uh, kind of Stephen Hawking's atheism versus uh, his wife's devotion. His oh faith. right, mm-hmm. and I think it gets touched on at the beginning and then is is dormant for the whole film and then kind yeah. of pops up at the end. Yeah. I just I wondered what you thought of that. Yeah, I didn't think it. it they they um, explored that enough. I, I I'll agree with you there. I think it could have been an interesting uh, way to make them clash a little bit more, yeah. but I don't think, I don't know if you needed that um, because they were pretty. Um, well, there, there, there doesn't seem to be, at least according to this film, there wasn't much clashing. I mean, you get that scene where you notice, and it, it felt cliche to me, frankly, where, you know, Hawking's in his wheelchair kind of crashing through the living room, playing with the kids. And then you finally get the shot of the frazzled Felicity Jones. Right. You because know, and she, you can see that, you know, like here's the turn where it starts to fall apart for her. Right, because she's put everything on the back burner in her life to, yeah, kind of allow for him to live out his dreams. I just and, felt uh, there's just times I felt it got a little too cliche, and I think that that uh, that you know having having the world's greatest mind as part of your story that ends up cliche is is disappointing to me. I mean, it it just seems like there there's much more to it. Like you, like you know, there could have been more more clashes between you know his his atheism and his uh, scientific belief and her her uh, you know Church of England upbringing. You know, because I mean, that's basically the you know how she deals with the crisis is she goes to church to be in the choir. But there's not. It just seems to be that's the only reason she went there is to meet. You know, according to the movie, is to meet. Uh, Jonathan's character, Charlie mm-hmm. Cox's character. Right. So, I just, I just, I wish, I wish it was better. I wish it was more, more about. I wish there was more science in it. 
I just wish it wasn't so science it geek. Felt, science geek. But I mean, God, I mean, this, this <laughs> we're living. You, what did you think of the love story, though? Overall, I mean, like, it's, like I said, it felt a little cliche to me. I agree. Um, I, I was, I, I, I can't say the performances were bad because they were great. But uh, I just, it just felt, it didn't feel like, you know, like I said, we've got the smartest guy in the world living right now, and this just seems yeah. totally. How about some context? Yeah. 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 All right, grades. Grades, Kiko. I liked it. I think the love story was strong enough to um, for me to recommend this, so I give this a solid B. I I'm going C plus probably. I'm not recommending it. It's it's a toss up between C and C plus, and I think the performance is boosted up to a C plus. I'm gonna say C plus too. I don't. I mean, I don't recommend it on the fact that I mean, I just I think it could have been so much better. I think there's just there's a missed opportunity here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got great performances and you had you had uh, one chance to do just amazing love story with science and it just didn't, it never came together for me. Bummer. Super bummer. Wah, wah. So uh, I'd like to see a story about uh, a love story about Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're going <laughs> to do like like great scientists. He'll be here um, in San Antonio in March, I think. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd go, like to, to go to that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Let's it's see if we can get review. Like, can we get? Uh, can we tickets? get him on the podcast? <laughs> and what, he'll just be talking. We'll just be looking at him, like with the with like like confused looks. Like okay. I love when he re- did. You read his uh, Twitter reviews of uh, Interstellar. Interstellar? Yeah. Mm-hmm. that was really great stuff. Yeah, I love that he like. The, do you do you remember a few years ago when they re released Titanic in 3D? Yeah, the one change that they made to the movie. Special effects wise was the stars at night uh-huh. because Neil deGrasse Tyson told James Cameron that those weren't the correct star patterns for oh. that part of the world <laughs> yeah. in that part of the year. That's awesome. Oh, to be that guy, just to be like, hey guys, your stars are wrong. Well, didn't he have a ton <laughs> of problems with gravity too? Oh yeah, yeah. tons. He blew he blew that movie out of the water in terms of scientific uh, accuracies. He was pretty. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, pretty high on interstellar though yeah mm-hmm. he said they got a lot right i wonder what he thinks about the theory of everything oh i don't know but, uh, well i think he'd be disappointed like you guys that there wasn't more science but i i i i would find it hard that he wouldn't shed a tear by the way have you been watching have you all watched cosmos i haven't seen Mm-mm. it it's really great i've i've seen about half of it yeah i've heard good things isn't seth mcfarlane like heavily involved in that he's the executive producer that's crazy to me and he does uh it's it's an update of a Carl Sagan series mm-hmm. where they used to do kind of reenactments of stuff um, with live action, but instead this now they use animation and Seth MacFarlane does a lot of the voices. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's extremely well done, and I mean it's it's uh, it's kind of hippie, like kind of weird, uh, but it, it's 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 kind of a step above the stuff you see on like the Science Channel. Mm. Um, I recommend it. I think it's all on Netflix now, so if you oh, get a chance, cool. check it out. Let's move on to our last segment. We're going to talk about setup movies in the spirit of The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 1. We're going to talk about movies that uh, are, dest- are are meant to leave you wanting more, right? Yeah. The, what, I, you had a question you wanted to ask. Well, the, the question I want to ask, and we can get into this later after we talk about setup movies a little bit, but the question I pose is, uh, is it absolutely necessary? And again, we all know why... 
these you know these movies are being split up into two, especially in the in the in the event of the Hunger Games, where you've got a studio like Lionsgate, <laughs> who like this is this is their money, this is all of the money that they make. Yeah, and so it's financially the right decision, according to studios, to split these movies up into if you can, if people will go and buy both parts, and of course they will, then you can make double the money. Um, so the question I said I, I want to pose is if you remove the money from the equation and you pretend like that's not an object, would audiences come out and see a a three-and-a-half-hour movie, for example? So, like, taking two two-hour movies, trimming the fat, and seeing, like, a three-hour 15, three-hour uh, 23-and-a-half-hour movie as one final piece, would people come out and watch that? And that's the that's the question. I think, yeah. Um, I mean, we had that proven 10, 12, 13 years ago with the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. Right. Uh, those were each three hours plus, um, and it didn't stop anything. They anyone. were hugely successful. And, and uh, they've even tried to replicate it with these Hobbit films. Mm-hmm. To a not successful degree, right. where they took a slim, tiny book and stretched it into three three-hour movies. Right. Um, so there's an audience for these long movies, uh, but uh, maybe we might see after these Hobbit films are done, we might see the death of that. Yeah, because everybody just wants to split everything up now. It's it's. See, I guess The Hobbit is a different sort of take, though, because that's like they split up a book, but then they split it up and just blew it up. Like, right. they, you know, I would have loved to see maybe one three-hour Hobbit movie mm-hmm. or maybe, maybe three 90-minute Hobbit movies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but but nine hours of The Hobbit is too much. I think there's <laughs> – because in, in a lot of these cases, when we're seeing these movies split up into parts – it's book adaptations, and it's the last book in the series where you're seeing like Harry Potter being. Yeah. Well, was Harry Potter split up more than once or just once? Just once. So Harry Potter, Twilight was split up, Hunger Games is split up, um, and you know I-, I can see the value in it if it's a giant book where there's so much happening, or even like the uh, the Avengers Infinity War parts one and two. I get that because if you're including the Avengers and the Guardians of the Galaxy and all the other characters you're introducing. There is a chance that it's going to be overstuffed. See, I don't, I don't understand that though, because that's not beholden to anything. It's, it's not, but it's, it's like in order to let something like that breathe, I think that you might, because I. But mean, used to be that was just like part two, you know, like. Uh, yeah, so like, you would rather see it be at like you know Avengers one or Avengers three and Avengers four. Yeah, yeah, I, I, mean, I get that. Um, and same with Dawn of Justice, uh, uh, the Batman versus, uh, I mean, the Justice League. Sorry, Justice League is doing part one oh, too. Oh God. But, um, the the Harry Potter thing, like that was I think that's the first film that did that. Yeah, um, it's weird. Did you ever read any of the Harry Potter books, either of you? I read the first one when I was younger, but I didn't read past that. Uh, no. The last book, and by by the time I think the fifth book was published, is when the film series started. So uh, either the fifth or sixth or. Fourth or I think the fifth book was published while the the film series was going on. So at that point, it was destined that everything was going to be made into a film. Uh, and I think the seventh book, reading it when I was reading it, you know, right as it came out, because I was that guy, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, in the in the week after it was released, 
it felt like she was writing it, like she wrote stuff in there to be cut. Yeah. So it felt like it felt cinematic right. parts, and then it felt like because there's a scene, there's 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 scenes in the book that just cover months, you know, where they're searching the woods for these Horcrux things. Yeah. And it felt like okay, here's where they're gonna condense it in the movie. You know, yeah. this is where they're gonna cut it out. But then they decided, shit, let's just make two movies and right. put everything in. And the first movie always suffers. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen one yet that's been. I mean, the, this probably the best one has been this Hunger Games one, just because I liked the thematic stuff going on. Yeah. The Twilight one, that's one of the worst films I've ever seen. Uh, that was almost a real time wedding. <laughs> which I mean everybody's been to a wedding you're like oh fuck this thing's taking forever and now you're watching a movie that's basically covering like the first hour of that movie is like a wedding it's yeah. like Jesus can we move on not well, as bad as a melancholia wedding oh, yeah. oh, that's, well, that's a world time wedding that's um, just weird so uh, like another thing where I find value is, is is really long books and like the best example I can think of now and I've, I haven't read this book yet I, I read when I was in high school I read like 300 pages of it and then I just I just tapped out because I just it got a little boring. And then I saw that there was eight hundred pages left, and I'm like, no, I can't do this. So it's it's Stephen King's The Stand, which oh, as originally published was about eight hundred pages, eight hundred fifty pages. And then um, they've done a whole bunch of like they special did an, editions. Well, they did an uncut edition where he he took out all the stuff that he cut out first time and put it back in, which makes it like twelve hundred pages. That's so strange. Yeah. And so you know, Josh Boone, the guy who did The Falls in Our Stars, is going to make. As as of now, a four part, the stand movie. So like four, you know, four movies. Because wasn't it a a TV series? It was before, a TV right? series. Yeah. It, yeah, they had a TV adaptation. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me when you look back at like all the Stephen King work that's been ad, ad, adapted for film and TV. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's I've never been a fan of Stephen King. Mm-hmm. I mean, the movies are some of the movies are are, are good. You know, obviously like uh, Misery, Misery, and. The Shining, things like that, but Shawshank uh, Redemption, Green Mile, yeah, Green Mile, yeah, but um, but the horror stuff I've never been a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anything about the Stand. I, I, I the first three hundred pages of the Stand are so good, and then a little chunk got a little boring for me, and I gave up. I need, to, I'm gonna go back and read it. I need to pick that up one of these days because I, I just my that's like the one glaring. It, it's like pop an, culture. It's like an iconic book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe before, maybe I'll get a chance to read it 1200 pages before the, before, for, before the, the, the fourth movie gets released. Uh, that seems ambitious to me. It's ambitious, but it makes sense at least. At least it makes like a narrative, it makes narrative sense. And I think that a lot of these decisions are, are based on money. And I think well, I that's mean, the problem. percent based on money. Right, exactly. And even it, it doesn't even have to be that. Like, because I mean, even the early Marvel, excuse me, the early Marvel movies. Like, I thought the first Thor movie was one hundred percent. Well, not one hundred percent, obviously, but like it served to almost completely set up stuff. And then they're like, oh, let's throw some Thor stuff in here too. Well, that, Iron Man two from Iron Man two, absolutely. I don't yeah. think it's one hundred percent in terms of money. I think that there's a sliver, ninety nine percent. Let's say ninety nine percent. There's a sliver of Hollywood that. Has artistic ambitions, uh, like they made um, Steven Soderbergh made Che, and they had to split that into one and two. Yeah. So um, I think in you know, but that's like a huge, iconic you know piece of history and a, a, a man that you know you couldn't really put his entire life into one movie. So I think that's a little bit different. But there are people like that. I think that would 
break two movies down. Even though, I mean, again, it's not a blockbuster thing or anything. I'm sh- sure tons of people didn't see that movie, but. But I mean, let's 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 pretend like this Hunger Games movie was what about two hours long? This one, yeah. And then the next one is uh, is probably going to be two hours again. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that between those two movies, you can find an hour that you can cut out? Oh yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, most films now, I think there's there's probably at least fifteen minutes that can be cut. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's weird because it, it it plays against everything you you kind of think of when it comes to Hollywood budgetary things. Because obviously shorter run times mean more screens, more times they can play during a day. Exactly. And more, uh, the more money. But you get something like, how the fuck does Transformers, the last Transformers movie, end up yeah. at like just brushing three hours? Yeah. Like what is going on? I agree. And I think that another thing too is, um, is, the, is the idea of with these first movies, it seems like you have to try to build in a climax that might not be there. And because mm-hmm. and I think like with, the, with this first Hunger Games movie – like we said, there's really no real climax yeah. in there, and it's, so it's like you, you're either going to build a clim- a movie without a climax, or you're going to build a movie that has a a climax for the sake of being a climax because it's it's not built in already. And so I, I don't. Somebody's one of these days. Somebody will nail it. Yeah. Somebody will be. You know. Somebody will take something that's meant to be one whole and cut it into two. Maybe it's uh, maybe the Avengers will will help because it doesn't it's not beholden to some book. That's been the that's one of the hugest problems with book adaptations is they're the fans of the book are so rabid. I mean Twilight, Twilight they just may as well have transcribed the book. You know, there's no adaptation going on there. It was just hey fuck it, these werewolves argued, put it on screen. You know, uh, <laughs> so it's like wait that doesn't make any sense. Like they just thought at each other for. Five minutes of screen time. What am I fucking watching? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I. So do you do you both think that a a uh, a, a movie audience and, and of course we're talking about summer blockbusters here. Would they come out for a three hour plus summer blockbuster? They, they had. Well, I mean, they, Transform- they came out for Transformers. Transformers was was. I think it was like two hours and forty seven minutes. It was something like that, and it was a huge hit. And the Lord of the Rings films were huge hits. Interstellar was Interstellar's long, uh, long shit. Uh, Two hours and 50, 50, 50 minutes? It's close. Dark Knight Rises was, uh, was really like 245. Yeah. So there's a market. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. If you if you go over three hours, that's probably not ideal. They And they probably would have to in a lot of these cases. Yeah. But, I mean, even then – that shows you how motivated it is by money because they could easily do it. I mean, easily. Well, even the Hunger Games books, like I haven't read the second, the, the second and third book, but you look at them and they're not appreciably longer than anything else. Right. Uh, you know, the Harry Potter books got progressively longer and longer and longer. Right. Like you look at the first Harry Potter book and it's maybe 500 pages and the last one, you know, they top out at like 1200, something ridiculous. Yeah. So, uh, you know, at least there is a uh, motive for that. Yeah. You know, because there's so much story there. But like I said, I thought she was writing to cut anyway. It's just it's just such a weird thing to me, especially when because the the setup movies are really starting to get to me, and they didn't they didn't as much before. I mean, it, it bothered me, but now I get like <laughs> like angry when I watch a when when I watch a movie that solely exists to set up another one or or set up some something somewhere down the line because you don't it's i think i think it's hard to integrate setup movies with 
you know, your own sort of condensed uh, in a in a bubble plot that's happening separate from it. You know. Well, I think there's a difference between something like The Hunger Games, this new Hunger Games film, and then Amazing Spider-Man Two, mm-hmm. which is probably the most egregious example I can think of right now. At least, cur- at least recently. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, at least, at least the Hunger Games knows where it's going. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spider-Man's just kind of throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. Ha, 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 pun intended. Like his web. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. So, uh, yeah, at uh, least, at least there's. You, at least you know they know what it's going towards. It's not because we've talked about Lost before. Yeah. And that's one of my hugest problems with Lost is there's just so much setup that's never paid off. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to write mysteries. It's easy to write like, oh, shit, what's going to happen with this? Uh, the hardest part is solving it. Well, um, and, and Lost threw it together. I remember watching Lost as it aired mm-hmm. and seeing there's – Three episodes left. Something has to happen at some point. <laughs> yeah. Like, when is something going to happen? Mm-hmm. And they just they just throw it all. They vomited it all out in that last those last two episodes. I yeah. That that's one of my hugest complaints with Lost is that that just there there's so much setup, yeah. so much setup, and I guess uh, in, in, that in fueled it, the 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 fervor for that show. I think. Well, you it, love that word. I know you. Love yeah, fervor. fervor. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the setup in Lost worked early on, but then as as you get to the last season and you see that every little bit of setup meant nothing. That was just that was just like a a, a knife through the heart. Like why did I just <laughs> like why why did I watch all that? They got you. They got you. They Cody. got me. They got me too. But I mean, it's so good before that, and I don't mind the waiting around in the early stuff. Like I said, but I mean, of course, this is TV, and that's you know. Yeah, it's so the, I mean, it's the same. It's just, I mean, Lost is as cinematic as probably you're going to get on TV, right? Other or, than something like Game of Thrones. Exactly. Well, Game of Thrones is the other example. I haven't read the books, but I know people who have, where they can be judicious with what they put in from the books. There's stuff that's missing from the books. There's stuff that's expanded upon in the series. There's stuff that's totally different. Yeah, and but it's it's you don't see Game of Thrones fans really crying foul for not moving. At a at the correct pace or not covering everything from a single book. I mean, there's probably purists out there who are, but as a whole, that show is pretty well received by the book readers. Yeah, no, and I mean, and that's a a great case of adaptation. Mm-hmm. You know, they make it work for TV, right? Because that's what you're going for. You're making it work for, yeah, for the screen. And I think that's why I think that there's always a good two and a half hour movie in a book somewhere. Are you surprised that we don't see more books atap- adapted as miniseries where you have, you know, six or seven hours to tell your story? I mean, the miniseries is kind of a dead format. Mm-hmm. Right I think now. that's interesting because I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of value in that. No, I agree, but I mean, it would take someone like HBO. I guess True Detective is close to a miniseries. Yeah. Just cuz it's more like Well, like Fargo was a miniseries. Yeah. Uh I mean, there'll there'll be something that comes along that gets turned into that, but I think right now it's sort of a. Why a, is it considered a mini series and not just a short season? Well, because it's an anthology thing. So basically, uh, every season is going to be unrelated to the other. It's so. like this, you know. I mean, it's just based on one work. You know, oh. that's just how we do it in America. We don't we don't ever set an end date for TV. It's not like the UK where they. Like here you go, you're getting twelve episodes, and that's it. Right. So it's, it's it'll still be called True Detective, but nothing from McConaughey and Harrelson's story will be in in it at all. Yeah, it's totally separate. And Fargo is a little different because it's it's going to be slightly related, but it's still not going to have you know the I same. St- I still need to watch that. I it's good did. stuff. Yeah. 
but I, I mean, I think that, I, I think that people would absolutely come out to that. I mean, even if it pushes the three hour mark, I think that you know the 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 people who have the fervor for <laughs> for these kinds of things would come out and see it. If it was a four hour movie that was a you know four hour silent movie, if it had Katniss in it. But like I said, you gotta you have to adapt. You have to, and you know, the people are so afraid with these books that if yeah. you don't like Twilight, they were afraid to not include all the fucking banal lines that banal. I said banal. Because <laughs> you're thinking the, of banal. Yeah, all the fucking banal lines that they say to each other. Like I remember a, a huge one of the original film. There's something about uh, the lion falling in love with the lamb or some shit. Yeah. And uh, they couldn't like they wanted to cut that from the adaptation. Because it's just a stupid line. Yeah. But the author said no because people have that fucking tattooed on their backs. You know, these these Twilight fans. So that's that's the thing. You have to you have to get away from being beholden to the book. Yeah. And you can make you can make a two and a half hour film that, that works. Because there's nothing I don't think Well they're I don't two know. different they're two totally different mediums and you have to stop treating them like they're the same thing. Yeah. Because in a book you can expand upon with you know with prose as much as you want you can spend you know five pages on the way a leaf looks if you want how do you translate to that to a movie you condense it you know it's 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 they're two separate mediums and you have to i don't think you know i if i and i get the idea of not wanting to piss off the book audience because the book audience is conceivably your conceivably that's not the right word is it conceivably your your uh your film audience it's the same thing Mm -hmm. because the people who read the books are going to be the ones who come to see the movie so I get I get that to an extent, but I don't get it at the um, at the expense of you know making a, a a movie that just exists to set up another one. Yeah, uh, I mean there's there's a balance you can strike between making change for change's sake and making change for the good of the the product. Yeah, uh, I mean I'm sure there's changes from the the I mean there's obviously always changes. I don't think Twilight had any changes, frankly, if I think about it. Because I did read the first book just for to see what the fuck it was all about. Yeah. And I think everything in the book made it on screen. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, even the, the Hunger Games, the first movie, we had stuff condensed. And I'm sure these, these films, these later films, I haven't read the second and third book, but I'm sure there's stuff that's different. But I don't think there's probably enough that's different. Because I, you know... Like I said in the when we talked about the film, all the kind of stupid animal names really bug me. <laughs> like it just takes me right out of the movie. Like there there's a serious film going on right in front of me, you know, as serious as a blockbuster can be, you know, about propaganda and rebellion and stuff. And then they say something dumb like tracker jacker venom and I'm like, Oh fuck. <laughs> just watching some dumb yeah. young adult movie. But we all know it's the almighty dollar that talks. Now I wanna meet somebody that has that lion lamb tattoo on the back or something it's, uh, it may be a little passe now so they might not tell you about it yeah, it might have been removed <laughs> or just like covered up but just all the time to now. think that that was a great line of oh man they're permanently tattooed do, on your do body you, do you remember like the uh like grown women going crazy for this stuff oh yeah was, was your was your wife into twilight ever? she she um she wasn't into it but she was like it's like any trashy type, mm-hmm. you know, TV show. Like people watch, you know, Real Housewives because it's not because they like it. It's because it's, you know, car crash type stuff. So you think, but I think Twilight was a little different. It wasn't so much car crash as was 
kind of this idealized romance that that she, was that she, was easy to access. She she watched it, but she wasn't afraid. No, I'm not talking say, about watching. I mean the books. Oh, the books. Um, you know what? I don't even know if she read them. I think she probably did. Because I remember uh, before the film came out, I had a ex girlfriend that was super into the books, and I was and like all her friends were into the books, and like it was weird because it was like she was like 30 years old and, and right. into this vampire romance shit. Then I, and that's, and I read it after the fact and I was like, man, this is really bad. Yeah. Like this is, but it was just so idealized. And it's, it's one of those things that like, it's, it's just this unrealistic love story that I guess just resonate. I mean, it was a romance novel that blew up like crazy. Right. You know, it was just some garbage. So, uh, but I read it. <laughs> and I owned a copy of the book. Congratulations! For a while. Did you love it? I didn't. There was a. <laughs> Are you was, Team Edward or Team Jacob? Oh God! Uh, I I would be Team Jacob because the werewolves are better than the vampires. The vampires. Okay. Uh, but I'm not. To each his own. I'm not Team Taylor Lautner. He's a <laughs> terrible actor. The only way that 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 the only way they showed him uh, in a as a in a better light. Did you either of you see the last two Twilight films? No, I've never was, seen any of them. Really? The last two? What do you mean? The last uh, two? Uh, yeah. The, par- the Breaking Dawn Part 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Do you remember uh, Breaking Dawn Part 1 had... Uh, there's an actor named Boo Boo Stewart. who was also in this past summer's X-Men uh, Days of Future Past. It's not ringing a bell. He played, uh, he played like a, a sidekick, basically, to Taylor Lautner's character. And he was an even worse actor than Taylor Lautner. <laughs> I don't I was remember like, Holy him. shit, man! They found like two. They found a guy that's worse than Taylor Lautner to get and the Taylor pressure L- off of Taylor. And Taylor Lautner, Lautner was bad. Um, do you remember when they threw uh, they threw uh, Bryce Dallas Howard in the third film? Yeah, they replaced or the second film. Mm-hmm. Was it the second or th- third film? They replaced some unknown redhead with Bryce Dallas Howard, right? For no reason whatsoever. <laughs> well, guess, I'm sure that was a reason. Well, probably just because they could say, here's Bryce Dallas Howard in this role. Well, they tossed in a lot of – they tossed in um, – what's her name? Oh, Dakota, Dakota Fanning. Fanning. I love Michael Sheen in those movies Michael though because he's just so, so over fucking the top. crazy. And he's just oh. – <laughs> <laughs> at least he's having fun with it. Like, <laughs> Oh, God. You know what? The, the last movie – you saw the last mm-hmm. movie, right? My, we've talked about this a bunch of times before, but my favorite scene at the screening – is when the vampire, like the big battle happens at the end. Watching everybody's face. They like smash each other's heads and stuff. And the audience is going ape shit at the screening. And I come to find out later that that's not what happened in the book. Oh. But, and it was the biggest fake out because it, it's a, like one character can, I guess, give premonitions to people. Mm-hmm, right. And that's what it ended up being. Like it was a dream. And but the people in the theater thought, oh shit, this is happening, and they thought, oh shit, they changed the ending of this book to have some big vampire battle, and it was just so gleefully over the top. I, I still love the last movie just because it's so stupid and insane. <laughs> I hate the, the part one. I fucking hate of Breaking Dawn. Is that what it's called? Is it Breaking Dawn? Uh-huh. I think so. And then part two, I love because it's just so insane. Yeah, that last scene is totally messed up. I love that they can just. Rip each other's, like yeah. that's it's weird like they're totally evenly matched so whoever rips the other one's head off first wins <laughs> makes no sense 
that's enough of this Twilight talk. Yeah. So, did you have a satisfying answer to your question, Cody? Uh, I did from you. Kiko was kind of silent. Well, I mean, I think it's obvious people are going to come out if it's big enough, if it's a blockbuster Hollywood movie and there's a vested interest in that people are going to come out for three hours. You're not a big reader, right? Um, he I mean, doesn't like, like, like uh, books. I mean, like you're not uh, like I don't. I don't pick up a yeah. No, no, no. I'd rather see. I'd rather put a movie on and pick up a book. I was just wondering if there was anything you'd like to see adapted that you haven't yet. Um, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. There's some Nick Hornby stuff that I really like that I haven't seen, uh, hasn't been at, adapted yet. There's a book called Juliet Naked. Mm-hmm. And there's another one. Uh, this one's a weird one. It was like a young adult novel, but he, like a kid, talks to a Tony Hawk poster, <laughs> and Tony Hawk answers him. That'd I'd like to see movie. Kevin and Hobbs adapted. Ah, you're bringing it all the way back, circling that's full a, circle. It's not a novel. It's there's a, a callback. There's a callback, and that's that's a good point to wrap it up right now with mm-hmm. that callback. Good job, Kiko. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so uh, that's gonna do it for this week. What do we got next week? Horrible Bosses 2? Horrible Bosses 2. We have Penguins of Madagascar, and we have The Homesman. Oh, The Homesman. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that yet. Have you? No, not yet. Not ne- ne- Neither no, have I, but it's a hometown hero, Tommy Lee Jones. Hometown I, curmudgeon. <laughs> I hear that uh, if you ever get an interview with him... But, like, which will never happen. Yeah, but it's like you got to bring your A game, otherwise he's just going to eat you alive. I'd love to interview him. I'd be ready for that one. I'd be like preparing like a boxer. <laughs> or like right. someone interviewing Greg Popovich. Yeah. During halftime. I think Greg Popovich is probably nicer than Tom. Oh, Hitch totally. By, by a long shot. <laughs> totally. So uh, um, it's also Thanksgiving. So, uh, Which is why I think it's a little bit slower. But yeah. we're going to start getting into more and more um, Oscar stuff. So um, Oscar bait material. Yeah. So. And Oscar Isaac. We'll get more Oscar Isaac <laughs> stuff, too. So looking forward to that. <laughs> we are going to get a Star Wars trailer pretty soon. Oscar mm-hmm. Isaac should be in that. Yeah, he's he's in that. No, but I mean he should be in the trailer. So I'm told. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be just like a teaser where there's, you know. I've read rumors that you see Oscar Isaac. In mm. it, Interesting. That he's a pilot. So nice. an X-Wing pilot. Anyway, uh, so if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can also call us, leave us, send us a text message, leave us a voicemail. 920-FILM-210. That's 920-3456-210. Again, leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, please. Um, did you give out the email address? Yeah, I did. Podcast at cinesnob.net. You were drinking water. I know. That's why you couldn't hear I was ref- I was hydrating. <laughs> I'm drinking soda like a jerk. Because <laughs> I was so tired, I needed to wake up. You guys are drinking water. So help I me. needed to wake up. I didn't even answer the door when y'all... Yeah, we were standing, standing outside, outside for 10 minutes. We're going to record an episode outside. Yeah, we're going to start doing mini episodes when you don't answer the door. And we're just going to we're just gonna film it or record it. Why didn't y'all ring the doorbell? <laughs> because you've told us not to in the past. No, I, I haven't told you to not ring it in the morning. I, it was that one time that you came at night when it was like past you know 11 or whatever. We're trying to be on the download, Kiko. I know, right? On the DL. Trying not to wake up your family. I'll just, I'll just give you a key next time. Jeez, <laughs> just leave the we'll door just, open. We'll just be standing over you. I'll just leave the door open all night long. Yeah. <laughs> on Saturday night, just unlock the door. <laughs> or you can put like a doggy door in and I can sneak in and unlock it. <laughs> That's a good idea. Whoever comes in, they do the show. Yeah, there you go. If it's a burglar, if not. All right. Uh, so on that note, I'm Jerry Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. 
And I'm Kiko Martinez. Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.